Well, good morning. Well, it is so good to be with you. Is everybody hearing me okay? All right, very good. Well, it is so good to be with you and to worship with you this morning. I bring greetings from South Shore Baptist Church. We pray for you and are so thankful for you. Uh, I know several faces here, and it's so good to see them, to see uh, familiar faces. And um, for those of you who do not know me, I'm the associate pastor at South Shore Baptist Church. And I, we have been here about a year and a half. And someone told me not long after moving here, it was wise words that said, if you can make it through our winter, you won't want to leave. So we found that to be true. Although the past winter was very mild. Well, I'm going to be declaring and sharing God's word this morning from Galatians chapter 1. We've been going through the book of Galatians at South Shore, and uh, I understand that you've been going through the book of Philippians. Philippians is my favorite book. In fact, whenever I preached, in view of a call at South Shore, I preached from Philippians chapter 2. So turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24. Throughout a lot of Paul's writings in his letters, we, we hear him speak of the gospel. We also, in Galatians, hear him speak of circumcision, but I won't be focusing on that this morning. We'll be focusing on the gospel, as we do throughout Paul's writings, and what does it mean to declare God's glorious gospel. The music the, uh, was wonderful this morning. The, that song, Glorious, reminds us of the glorious God that we serve. So before we dive into Galatians 1, let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced something so crazy, so wild, that you just wonder if other people would believe it? Maybe it was a large bill that was paid off. Maybe um, it was a healing, a, a, a family member, a friend that was healed. Maybe it was your own sickness that was healed. Well, I had a wow moment that came to mind uh, for me when we were church planters in Canada. We were church planting in Newfoundland, Canada, and it was the day that my friend Eric came to faith in Christ. Now, Eric was his English name. His Chinese name uh, was much more difficult, and so he took the name Eric. Well, not long after we met him, him and his wife Tina were studying with us the book of Romans and also the book of Genesis. My co-pastor Adam and I thought, well, let's start at the beginning and let's go through the first 11 chapters. So he went through Romans, he went through Genesis, then came the wow moment. It was at the end of the service, my co-pastor Adam, he was playing the guitar, and he was wrapping things up, when Eric slowly raised his hand, and he spoke up and he said, I, I, I've got something I'd like to say. He said, I'm understanding God's plan for me even more. He said, in the book of Genesis, we see God created Adam and Eve. He gave them a command. God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because why? Because death would certainly follow. But there was another tree in the garden, the tree of life. It was in the middle of the garden. Eric said, I don't want to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anymore. I want to eat from the tree of life and live. Well, that was quite the uh, moment of confession and, and, and decision to follow Christ. And we all were in awe. We all were stunned as he decided to follow Christ that day. It was a moment where God's presence was clear. 
Well, here in the book of Galatians, Paul often talks about his wow moment of when God changed his life. And so we're going to see that in this passage as Paul talks about the power of the gospel. He talks about how Christ is the substitute we need, how he brings deliverance, how he frees us from our sins, and how Christ is foundational to the gospel. Over and over again, if we were to go to earlier in Galatians, he says, don't turn to a different gospel. Why? Because there isn't a different gospel. There's only one true gospel. So read with me, follow along with me as we look at our passage today. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 11. Paul writes these words. He said, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous for, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we open up your word, we find words of life. Words that open our eyes to the truth. So, Lord, I pray that it will be said of us that we are glorifying God, that Situate will find the people here glorifying God, worshiping you, trusting you, obeying you in all things. Lord, I praise you and thank you for the gospel. The gospel is not something that I could have made up, we could have made up, any of us could have made up because it's glorious and much greater than we could think or fathom or imagine. So, Father, open our eyes to its truth. Help us to believe this truth. And, Lord, I pray that we will declare it, that we will declare it boldly, and that we will sing of your, your praises, sing of your riches wherever we go. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as we go through this passage, it's a longer passage, but we're going to go through it quickly. I want us to see four life-changing truths. And if I could emphasize one above the other, the most important one is the first one. That doesn't mean get it down and you can zone out for the rest. But the first one is the most important, and that is the gospel is from God alone. That, that seems to be the message of Galatians 1, that Paul is saying this over and over again. This gospel that I'm declaring, it's not something I made up. I didn't get this out of a fortune cookie. This is from God alone. Paul writes with passion and emotion, and sometimes 
he's misunderstood. But we see, we see his pastoral concern here when he says the word in Greek is adelphos. That word means brothers and sisters. So he's writing to the family. He's saying, family, my dear brothers and sisters, hear this word that the gospel is from God alone. And so Paul writes with passion and he writes with a mission. What is this mission that he wants us to know? That the gospel he preaches is not of human origin. Again, others were coming up with different things. and They were distorting it. In fact, even in my um, personal reading this past week, I've been reading the book of Hebrews, and it says, don't be uh, misguided by strange and diverse teachings, but have your heart strengthened by the grace of God. So don't get caught off guard by other teachings. So Paul is reminding us the gospel he preaches is not of human origin. Well, we know that origins are important. We want to figure out the origin of a disease so that we can eradicate it. So how did this disease begin? We try to figure it out so we can eradicate it. We want to know the origin of a tradition so that we can cherish it. That's, that is, if it's a good tradition. But here, Paul wants us to know the origin of the gospel so that we can believe it. That's his message here. Know the origin of the gospel so that you can believe it. Again, man did not invent the gospel. It comes to us from God so that we might trust God. I've been reading a book by Barry Cooper called Can I Really Trust the Gospel? We gave it away to our high school graduates. I encourage you to read it. And in in it, Cooper says, We can trust God's word. When you see the sun, you know it's bright. When you taste honey, you know it's sweet. When you see Jesus Christ in Scripture, you know He is Lord. And when you put God's Word into practice, you know it's for real. So here in God's Word, we find the truth of the Gospel. The Gospel is good news from God, revealing the Kingdom of God to us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, we rejoice that Jesus Christ died in our place. He died in my place. This is Paul's story. This is my story. And I hope it's your story as well. As I was reading this, it reminded me of Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1, we read this. It says, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So again, God is the one speaking. Man is not just coming up with things on his own, but God is speaking to the writers. Repeatedly, the Bible validates its, cl- its own claims about itself. What's the claim? It's true, and it's from God. So Paul makes it clear. He says, I did not receive it. That is the gospel from a human source. And I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. When you think about it, Paul probably had a lot at stake. He was persecuted. He was known as one who was, who was uh, violent, who was persecuting the Christians. And so a lot of people probably question whether or not what he said was true. So he goes on and on to say, what I'm writing to you in 1 Corinthians, he says, this is the Lord's command. In 1 Thessalonians, he says something similar. He says, he says, um, you need to accept this message, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God. So again, Paul says 
clearly that this is God's word. And so if this is God's word, then what does this mean for us? It means that we can declare it with confidence. In today's society, everybody wants to question what we believe. We have to defend it over and over again, but we can declare God's word with confidence. When people who say they are Christians are careless with the very words that brought them life, it is tragic. Imagine a person drowning in the Atlantic after being rescued with a life raft. They begin to pick holes in it. Well, that's not what we do with the gospel. We don't pick holes in it. We see that it is bulletproof, and it is truth. God is speaking to us through this gospel. So the first point is that this gospel comes to us from God alone. Look with me in verses 13 and 14. The second point here is that God can change anyone. He can change anyone. We are here today as evidence of that. Um, I have family members who it has been said, oh, they will never come to faith, but they trusted in Christ. And so here in verses 13 and 14, Paul speaks about his former way of life. You heard about the old Paul. You heard about Saul. What does it say? He says, I persecuted the church of God violently. You know, he's not just doing things simply, but he is violently putting those who follow Christ even to death. And so he speaks of his former ways of life. He talks about moving up the religious ladder within Judaism. He surpasses his colleagues. He lobbies for the traditions advocated by his ancestors. So this is a young and rising star within Judaism. But we see that he comes to Christ. This, one, this man who was a blasphemer, who was a persecutor, who was an arrogant man, he had an encounter with the risen Christ. We see that God doesn't just change the hearts of those who are extremists, though. He doesn't just change the heart of terrorists. He doesn't just change the heart of extroverts. He changes the hearts of extroverts and introverts, executives, and even, dare I say, politicians on every side. God changes hearts. But we also must see here in Galatians 1 that he saves those who are filled with hostility and those who exhibit sincerity. Sincerity cannot attain salvation unless you sincerely believe in the truth. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be consumed with religious lists and miss Jesus altogether. So don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus for who he is. We see just part of the picture here, but if we were to read all of Galatians, if we were to read all the Gospels, we would see Jesus for who he is. Who is Jesus? He is God in the flesh. He is a prophet. He's a priest. He is king. He proclaims good news to the poor, and he has come to take away sins. Above all, he is our Messiah. That's what we see here in Galatians 1. So he is worth more than you can imagine. He is forgiving. So if this is the Jesus we know, then this is the Jesus that we can declare. He can change any heart. So again, this gives us confidence. This breathes confidence to us as we go to work, as we talk to our neighbors, as we talk to relatives who are resistant to the gospel. We must remember that God can change anyone. So we've seen the first two points in the first few verses. Now look with me at verse 3. We emphasize grace alone. Just like Rick mentioned, we, we must not distort grace. 
We can't abandon the word grace. Other people might misuse the word, but we must take it back and, and, and define grace for the way we see it in Scripture. Well, grace is important to Paul. It's important to his calling. He talks about his former way of life. He talks about who he was, but it was by God's grace. This is why we love to sing the song Amazing Grace. It's grace that has changed us. It's grace that has saved us. And it was grace where we see God's eternal plan, his particular plan for Paul, and his redemptive plan for us. It's by God's grace we are saved through faith. This is not something that we can muster up. It's not pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. This is the work of God. So God has called Paul through his grace. And we see the word calling here in this section. And it is an effective call. A call that convinces one who is summoned. It's a call that happens. And so here, God calls Paul to believe. He calls us to believe. And we are convinced. Our eyes are opened. And we follow. Not just because the evidence is true, and it is, but because God is worthy. We, we follow and we obey and we trust. Well, we see God's call for Paul. We see this language of being set apart throughout the scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. Isaiah 49 says something similar. Before I was born, the Lord called me. Titus chapter 1, very similar as well, speaking of God's call and his promises before time began. So Paul emphasizes God's grace in calling. We declare God's grace in salvation. Not our merit, not our works, but the work of God. So when we come to believe, it truly is a miracle. We are miracles that God has changed our hearts. This is why we say salvation is of the Lord. If you know God, it is by the grace of God. So Paul was not searching for God. He was running from him. He was seeking to destroy the church when his eyes were opened. Maybe that's true of you. Are you running from God? Even silently? Let me encourage you to follow Jesus today. Again, no one is beyond the reach of God's amazing grace. Paul's story shows us that God saves all sorts of people. So trust him. Trust in the one who will save you, who, in the one who does not weigh you down, but who will free you. I read recently where Mark Dever, he was speaking Mark Devers, a pastor in the D.C. area, and he was speaking with a family member. He had an amusing interaction with one of his relatives. The relative said to Mark, you know, the church is just a pit of vipers. To which Mark responded, do you think those outside the church are better? She said, no. He said, well, I don't disagree with you. We are. And we've got room for one more anytime you want to slither on in. So we must remember that we are the church and that we have been changed by God. We are sinners, but we are forgiven sinners. Key word, forgiven. 
So we, the church, are the company of redeemed, forgiven sinners, people saved by grace to highlight God's glory. Let's look at the last point, the last section, verses 18 through 24. We declare the truth and God is glorified. We declare the truth and God is glorified. So as the passage unfolds, Paul's passion continues. He goes on to talk about the greatness of God. He goes on to talk about preaching the gospel among the Gentiles and how he was excited to do so. He immediately gets up and goes and travels with the gospel. And it refers in this section to a three-year waiting period before he goes to Jerusalem. So it's likely that this three years have passed since his conversion. Some say, well, during this three-year time, he met with Jesus. Well, that would be quite the education. Some say that during this three-year time, he was alone. Well, that would be quite the quarantine. But in either case, this is not wasted time. This time's not wasted, and our, time, our moments are not wasted either, our moments of waiting. So during this period of waiting and learning, Paul eventually, he goes to Jerusalem, and he gets to know Cephas, or as we refer to him as Peter. James is there too, and this trio is together for 15 days. And so Paul is, the point here Paul is saying is we had a very limited amount of time together. And in verses 18 and 19, he says that he's basically saying this proclamation of the gospel was not dependent upon Peter or the other apostles. Some of Paul's critics were were saying that he received this from others and now he's distorting it. And Paul's saying, I'm not distorting the truth. This is the gospel of God. Paul makes it clear in verse 20. He says, what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. He says, I am not lying. So he makes it clear again, just like we heard earlier, the message, the gospel is from God. Then look with me at verse 22. Paul says something that I found interesting. He says, I was still unknown in person, or I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. Well, why is this important? Why is this interesting? I think it's interesting because, again, he was a rising star within Judaism. Everybody knew Saul. Everybody knew this man. But now he goes from somebody who's basically unknown. Here's this unknown guy, comes to Christ, and his focus here is that the the highlight, the spotlight, is on Christ. It's not on me. It's not on Paul, what I have done. It's on Christ. Many did not know Paul in this region, but what did, they do, what did they know? The gospel. They were hearing the message. What, were the, what was the message? He is preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. I mean, it's hard for us to fathom that because we don't face persecution. But think about somebody who is violently opposed to Christianity and then coming to faith in Christ. Many years ago, it might have been 10 or 15 years ago now, I remember... Um, a famous story, the son of Hamas, the son of that terrorist group who was violently opposing Christians, came to faith in Christ. Everybody was amazed, and they wanted to hear what he had to say. Well, the same is true for Paul. They want to hear what he has to say, and what does he have to say? The gospel. He declares the truth, 
and God is glorified. So this is our role. Our role is to declare the truth and God gets the glory. We declare it, we speak it, and we speak it truthfully and lovingly. So my prayer is that we will declare the gospel and that God will get the glory. May God be glorified in your life as you live in response to the grace of God. By God's grace, our desires and our, pursu- and our pursuits point to the one who has saved us, point to the one who has changed us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true. We thank you for the gospel, that this is not man's gospel. This is your gospel. So, Lord, help us, help us to treasure it. Help us to believe it. Help us to be honest with you in our doubts. We pray, I believe, yet help my unbelief. So, Lord, help us to follow you and to walk in obedience and to trust you each hour of each day. Lord, we thank you for your grace, your grace that has opened our eyes, your grace that changes us, that doesn't leave us where we once were, but has changed our hearts to love you and to pursue you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers. I thank you for the work that you are doing here in Situate. Lord, I pray that you will continue this work, that the gospel will ring forth in this community all along the South Shore. Lord, we thank you and praise you for what you're doing. We give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. It's in Jesus' wonderful name that I pray. Amen.